0: Hello, and welcome to today's episode, which is titled Abolition. And we have with us today, Sean Gordon. Sean, would you mind introducing yourself?
1: I'm Sean Gordon. I just recently defended my dissertation. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you very much. uh, In English and American Studies at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. I teach and write primarily about 19th century American literature, um, abolition and the environmental humanities. I love Mm -hmm. the podcast. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thank you so much for coming. I will jump right ahead and ask you my first question.
1: What the heck is abolition? Well, as I'm sure you can imagine, abolition is many different things to many different people. Yeah. But I but I basically think about it in two, two ways. One is it's the historical movement to end the transatlantic slave trade and the system of racialized slavery it birthed. And on this point, while abolition per se starts off in the 17th century as a kind of liberal reform movement among capitalist class interests with really like no particular investment in abolishing the the kind of racial social dynamics on which it depended yeah it it transforms into a much more radical program in the 19th uh 18th 19th centuries oriented toward the immediate end of slavery and the reconstruction of social relationships um this transformation can be kind of traced between, say, like, lauda Equiano in the 1780s and 90s, and David Walker and William Lloyd Garrison in the 1820s and 30s. Um, Another way to define abolition is as a more trans-historical movement that's come to exceed the particular demand to end slavery. And it it now involves um, and is used much more so in the context of prison abolition and transformative justice. This is the version of abolition that W.E.B. Du Bois referred to in the 1930s as abolition democracy. Mm -hmm. Uh, in his book, um, Black Reconstruction, um, and that Angela Davis and Ruth Wilson Gilmore have also taken up in relation to the prison industrial complex, empire, torture, um, and that the writer, organizer, uh, and educator, Mariam Kaba, defines as, quote, a political vision, a structural analysis of oppression, and a practical organizing strategy. That involves things that we've seen a lot of lately, I would say, um, defunding the police, Right. Ending all aspects of the prison-industrial complex and mutual aid. And then I would say a third way to define abolition is in terms of those who who understand it very fearfully as a program of complete disorder, akin right. to anarchy, right? right. Yeah. Um, and I guess I'm referring to a lot of the fearmongering politicians and news media figures who, I would say, abuse the term, but in a sense, they're they're not wrong about its commitment to disorder and racial capitalism as well as the modes of being under racial capitalism. That, that phrase, program of complete disorder, comes from Fanon's discussion of yeah. what constitutes decolonization. But it's, a, it's an important lens for a number of scholars in black studies, such as uh, Frank Willerson and Jared Sexton, to think through the end of the world that has slavery. Um, so I always keep in mind this somewhat pithy phrase from one of Jared Sexton's essays, where he writes of abolition, that slavery is the threshold of the political world, abolition the interminable radicalization of every radical movement. Right. This this just one short phrase gets at what Kaba calls a structural analysis of oppression, namely that you know just recognizing that we enter the political sphere through slavery, and um, at the same time it speaks to what abolitionists are here on this earth to do, which is to get to the root of politics, to uproot civil society yeah. so you can understand why the guardians of civil society are pretty scared about that but it's it's weird too because of this extent to which so many abolitionists do their work out of out of love um
0: you know you mentioned the word uproot and also times we kind of stray from that particular association when we say the word uh, radical and radical literally yeah. has to do with roots Exactly. And um, so on that note, I was wondering, we'll get an opportunity to talk about abolition as we understand it in our present moment. But I'm really interested in, as an answer to the first question that I asked, mm-hmm. like, could you give us a sense of the origin of the term? If, I mean, even etymology, I guess, to a certain
1: extent. Radical is, is um, the root word of uh, of radical is root. So there is a kind of like way in which uprooting the institutions of civil society is an important part of that radicalization and i take that very i take that sort of literally but i think um you know maybe we'll have time to talk about what that means in, as a as a kind of like environmental disposition as yeah, well yeah. or as a as a kind of attitude toward territory and land um that's kind of interesting but abolition my you know best understanding or or sort of briefest summary of the etymology of abolition is that it comes from latin as well like abolere which does mean destruction but i i think it's you know it's it's so important to recognize the relationship between destruction and reconstruction in this context um that the abolition has this you know it's a it's a full sounding word that kind of um has this apocalyptic sort of sense to it but it's yeah. also really open and i think has always had this element of what i've come to think of as presencing that's sort of from ruth wilson gilmore like abolition is about presence i think that's always been a sort of part of the abolitionist project it does come from destruction but it's it's bent on reconstruction and presencing and flourishing i think how do we use abolition there's a way to use abolition as a structural analysis as. I just said, as a lens for understanding the world, yeah. and there are ways to use it as a guidepost for for organizing. As a guidepost for organizing, I think using abolition can be pretty straightforward and even kind of schematic. If we are abolitionists or want to be, we can really ask us, ask ourselves some pretty simple questions, like, why are so many resources given to the military? the prison system and the police, while far fewer resources are given to health, care, shelter, education, etc. That begins to get at the structural analysis part. And we should continue to ask those questions, right. Uh, But if we are committed to it to abolition, we can also do a lot more. Uh, We can, for instance, oppose any mode of police reform that strengthens policing. And we can take steps to decrease police power. There was quite a lot of success with such measure, measures all throughout last summer, when police budgets were really being cut and resources re- reallocated to education, healthcare, mutual aid. We can also use abolition in the transformative justice sense of imagining alternatives to prison, policing, and punishment, and putting transformative justice practices into our communities um, by understanding how and why harm is caused, supporting survivors of harm, and, and building structures of acknowledgement and accountability right. and again the, the question we learn from organizers like kava isn't about whether or not to call the police in an emergency but why are the police the only people to call and if you really want to take abolition to to heart or or abolition is the radicalization of every radical movement then it really starts to become this sort of more nebulous way of life or way of being than simply an interpretive lens or an object to interpret. I think there are basically a few ways to do it, but it's something I'm really just genuinely interested in discussing. So like, one way would be to just think about how to radicalize our writing, consider our citational practices, Mm -hmm. or, you know, consider the assumptions we have about intellectual property and all that. But then there's also whether whether abolition could be a literary theory or a theory of narrative we could say it would require noticing how integral policing and you know focalizing police characters are in american television and cinema oh yeah Yeah. um but but on a more narratological level it would require thinking about the status status of narrative closure and resolution in cinema in the novel form Uh, but i tend to think poetry and music because of their potential for like grammatical disorder and synesthesia Really. are sort of where abolition is at and but it, you know it's just something to consider like what are abolitionist, abolitionist narratives abolitionist yeah. grammars is abolition representable and um, it's something to look for and and something to work toward how will abolition save the world there's no doubt that abolition will save the world but yeah. it's it's a complicated question uh to the extent that abolition can also be as a be seen as a way to end the world and I listened to your colleague uh, do the Afro pessimism episode, and I yeah. think Diane, um, yeah, yeah, I think Diane had a similar sort of response to um, the the question. But you know, because abolition can be seen as a way to end the world, or more importantly, to reconstruct or remake the world to build a new world, like yeah. the, an end to this world. You know, part of me thinks that it will save the world, and it's already done so through a commitment to mutual aid. You know. Communicability across difference, accountability. Yeah. When I say it's already done, so I'm I'm saying I think that the the world would already be over if not for abolitionists in a yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, abolitionists have always been saving the world or preserving some sacred aspect of it that otherwise would have been destroyed. And you know, this is where I was kind of going to talk a little bit about the etymology of the term too, because it it does mean destruction, and yet scholars have have been Pointing toward abolition as a presencing project, as a flourishing yeah. project, you know, in a scholarly sense, there's there's a lot being written about sort of the tensions between Black studies and Native studies, um, and a book that I didn't get a chance to read in full in preparation for the podcast, but a book that is. It seems to be trying to some sort of like resolve some of those tensions or or um, work at the intersection of black studies and native studies is Tiffany Lothabo's King, Lothabo King's um, The Black Shoals, yeah. whose subtitle is Offshore Formations of Black and Native Studies. We have to be thinking abolition in relation to decolonization and indigenous revitalization and that we should be thinking of abolition in the same terms that we think about police reforms, um, which is to say that is abolition increasing the capacity for settler colonialism? Or is it working in tandem with decolonization? Because I think that the abolition movement, historically speaking, in the 19th century, sort of does, in a sense, increase the capacity for the state does increase the capacity of the state. Um, And that's, that's a that's a problem I, you know, need to study a little bit more. But I also acknowledge my particular position as a settler here and just want to note that the settlers relationship to abolition should not justify an increased capacity to be here. Abolition calls for a much more radical program of, of um, existential disorder, I think, that is only becoming uh, only really starting to become apparent to, to me as a thinker, as a writer. Um, I, I know some other people who write about it, but it's a really kind of difficult set of questions to answer, you know, to answer, you know what, is, what is dancing with death, like Frank Wilderson says? What does is, what is existential disorder look like? What does an abolition look like that doesn't increase the capacity of the state? but works in tandem with decolonization right. and land back movements and, you know, indigenous revitalization.
0: We decided to do abolition. One of the reasons for that was in its centrality in your work. Yeah. And so, you know, on an ending note, could you give us a sense of what you're working with right now? How abolition is, you know, crucial to that?
1: I write about, or in my dissertation anyway, I wrote about some figures, um like henry david thoreau and you know some new england abolitionists and stuff partly partly that was just personal so like some stuff i'm trying to work through in a place where i'm where i'm from but what i found is that it just seemed to me that abolition had a um it was a much broader aesthetic project and an environmental project so just to take thoreau as an example he's known for this essay about civil disobedience that has been used by figures like Martin Luther King Jr. and, and Gandhi to, to sort of talk about civil disobedience and nonviolence. But when when John Brown basically tried to take over uh, a federal armory and disperse that ammunition and the, and, the, and the weapons that were there to instigate a massive uh, slave insurrection, Thoreau was one of the first ones to defend him in public and, and write about the, the effort in terms of the requirement for violence to meet state violence, you know, the, the requirement to meet violence with violence in a certain way. But also, he wrote about it in a way that was really linked up with some of his environmental thinking. And I don't think that he really saw John Brown's, you know, attack on Harper's Ferry or, or his intentions there as a as a form of destruction i think he saw it as a form of dispersion right. That it was to to you know basically to disperse life and he was at the same time writing about seed dispersion and how like trees and fruits propagate and it's you know i'm, I'm don't want to get too like in the weeds if you will right. about yeah. thoreau but i just i it was just kind of a pathway to seeing abolition as as related to kind of like presencing in an environmental sense and also just the the sort of like life-giving aspect of abolition though it's all you know often misrepresented as a as a entirely a program of destruction or right. wanton you know irresponsible destruction well i think that you know thoreau and and john brown these these figures that i've written a little bit about had no had no sort of like fealty to the preservation of the uh, slaveholding state
0: Thank you. Thank you so much, Sean, for coming yeah, to our sure podcast, like talking to us about abolition.
1: Yeah, it was a pleasure to be here. It's great to talk with you. And yeah, I'm glad I got to speak to this really important topic. And thank you for listening to High Theory.
0: If you like our podcast, please review and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Patreon, or wherever you get your podcast fix.
1: Sharonik Bosu manages our social media presence. Owen Quinn composes our theme music and Kim Adams and Sharonik Bosu edit our audio.
0: You can also find us at hightheory.net.
1: We hope you have a highly theoretical day.